Well, I want to welcome you here this morning as we've come to study the Word of God. We're taking a passage out of Ephesians chapter 1 today, and we're actually going to make that the series that we're going to be looking at over the next four weeks, Ephesians chapter 1. And it's all about the, the blessings of God in our lives, and we're going to be looking at that again, as I said, over the next four weeks. Now, back in 1926, there was a very wealthy Canadian lawyer. His name was Charles Vance Miller. He died. He was single at the time when he died. But he had a big estate. And he was trying to figure out how to pass this on, but he doesn't have any close relatives in which to pass his estate on to. And so he did something that he thought would be fun to do and odd to do, is that he, he made decisions of who he would pass his estate on to that would be kind of controversial in many ways. I mean, to a couple of men that he knew were highly opposed to horse racing and to betting on the horses and opposed to gambling, he left the shares that he had in the Ontario Jockey Club to these two individuals, to uh, pro prominent Protestant pastors in Toronto at that time, and remember this is 1926, to the pastors at that time who were in favor of prohibition, he bequeathed his shares in the O'Keefe Brewery to them. It was a, a, a Roman Catholic beer company, and he wanted just to have fun with them, and he left them the, the shares that he had in that company. To two businessmen that he knew that couldn't get along with each other at all who were in the community there in Toronto, he gave them joint ownership in his vacation home, and he assigned them to vacation times when they would go and have to go and spend vacations together in his vacation home. But if you want to talk about the kind of the one that was the most spectacular, the most creative, the most uh, uh, famous bequest that he did, well, he, it, it, with, he, he took the remainder of his estate and he said to, that whichever w w woman or women can give birth to the most children within the next 10 years, from 1926 to 1936, whichever mom can give birth to the most kids within those 10-year span, within that 10-year span, that mom and that family will get the entirety of the remaining portion of my inheritance. Now, what that did was that created what the Toronto newspaper called the Great Stork um, Derby, where women, 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 all kinds of moms decided that they would see if they could win that inheritance, that that bequest. And uh, 10 years passed, and four women actually gave birth to nine children over that 10-year span. And to those four women who were able to do that, they each received $125,000. And, and I mean, if you're a mom, you're probably thinking, that doesn't sound very good. I, I don't think I would do that. That's not worth it. Giving birth to 10, 10 uh, kids uh, over 10 years just to get 125,000. Oh, oh, but, but let me say this. That was in 1930 is $125,000. You put that in today's market, it would have been $9 million. And now, and now some of you moms are thinking, I think I would have done that. I think I would have tried that. And, and you probably would have felt blessed beyond measure if you were a recipient of the one who received that inheritance that he was giving. Well, today, as I said, we're starting a four-part series. I actually am calling the series Blessed Beyond Measure because we're looking at the, all the, the wonderful blessings that God gives us just because we're his children. 
And, and just like these four moms were blessed beyond measure because of the inheritance that they received from Charles Vance Miller, you and I are blessed beyond measure as well because of the inheritance and all the, the blessings that we get just because we're God's children as well. And, and that's what Paul wants us to know as he begins this letter, as, as he writes it to the believers in Ephesus. He starts by telling all about the blessings that we've received from God in the past. And so let me give you the outline of what we're going to look at in the next few weeks. He tells us all the blessings that we receive from God in the past. He tells us the blessings that we receive from Christ at the present time. He tells us about the blessings that we will receive from the Holy Spirit in, in the future. And then he tells us the blessings that we receive because we're simply a part of the Church of Christ. And so those are the four blessing groups that we're going to be talking about over the next four weeks. But today, as I said, we're going to start with the blessings that God gives us, and he does it from the past. So these are the blessings that we receive from God in the past that are still true for us today. So let me read what Paul has to say. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realm with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. For he has chosen us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons and daughters through Jesus Christ in accordance to his pleasure and will. I mean, this is quite a statement when you think about what Paul is saying, that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And, and so Paul begins by, blessed be the God and Father, because he blesses us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So our God is a God who wants to bless us. That's the first thing Paul wanted them to understand, that he's the God that brings blessing to the lives. And the first blessing that he wants us to re know that we receive is that he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, and he adopted us to be a part of his eternal family. That's the blessing that comes from God, to be chosen and to be adopted. Now, he's saying this to believers in Ephesus. Now, and, and for us to really understand the impact of this, let me just tell you a little bit about the place where he's, he's giving this message to, the, the people that Paul's sharing this with. Ephesus, you might not know, was a city in the Roman Empire at that day. Rome was a major empire in the known world at that time. And we know that the, the, the capital city, Rome, was the greatest of all the cities and the most influential of the cities. But the second influential city in that whole empire would have been Ephesus itself. And so Ephesus was a major industrial place, a major trade uh, city, a major influential city, and a major cultural city. And so it was really an important city at that time. And it was a city that was greatly influenced. If we think back, it, 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 I, it was influenced by Alexander the Great. And so it had a great, a great Greek influence on it. It was... Uh, influenced by Greek culture, by Greek thought, by Greek philosophy. And when you talk about the Greek influence on this city and how it affected the people, one of the things about Greek culture in that day is that what it did was it elevated the, the, the human body. It elevated almost to the point where people began to worship the human body. And, and so it was important for you to have a, a, a good-looking body. I mean, body image Physical image was really important to the Greeks and really important in this city, as I said, even to the point where they believe that the gods favored you 
if you had a good-looking body and you, if you were in shape. And so keeping your body fit, keeping your body in shape, keeping your body well-toned was critical for how you would actually be accepted in the community. Because again, if you were in great shape, if you were physically fit, it was a revelation to the other people around you that the gods were blessing you. And so it was one of the ways that indicated that you were being blessed by the, the gods. And so critical was how you looked. And that was the culture surrounding it. And, and because of that, you would go to a place called a gym to make sure that you could keep your, your body in shape, okay? And so if you wanted to show off your body, if you wanted to keep your body fit, you would go to the, this place called a gym. Now, it's not the kind of gym that we talk about today when we think about a gym, because when I think about the gym I go to, I mean, it's a place where people walk on treadmills, they get on bicycles, they, they get on weight machines, and they get free weights, and they do all this to, you know, to improve the, the, their body health and their body physique. Um, our gyms are different from their gyms. Their gyms were more like stadiums. In fact, some of the gyms that we find in, in the Greek were so big that the stadium itself could, could hold up to 100,000 people at one time. And so these were large outdoor stadiums and indoor complexes. And it was a place where actually that you would not only work out there, but you would have competitions in the same place. So the same place where you worked out was the same place that you would have your competition. But if you went to a gym to get fit or to gain strength or to improve your physique, okay, you, you, once you would get there, the first thing you would do is that you would remove all your street clothes. And, you know, people go to the gym today and they go in the locker room and take off their street clothes. They put on their, their gym clothes, their workout clothes, and that still goes on today. But the unique thing that was different about in that day is that people would take off their, their street clothes, but they wouldn't put anything else on. They would, they would exercise with no clothes on. In fact, when, when you think about the word gym in the, in the Greek, you know what it means? It means get naked. That's what it means. And so you would go to the gym, get naked, and then you would work out. And that's why, you know, probably it would be smart when, when I tell people, you know, I'm going to go work out rather than say I, I go to the gym, uh, just say I, I'm, I'm going to go work out so that people don't get any, any impressions that something fush, funny is going on there. But it was really meant, I mean, this whole thing was a, meant as a way to show off the brilliance of your body. Because again, body image was important to them. It was highly favored. And so what it meant that when they would work out, they would do it in, in, the, uh, in the nude. But when they would, would compete, they would also, and you probably heard this, that you would also do it in the nude as well. And so men would compete with no clothes on. And that was just understood that that was the culture that they were in. <laughs> I, I want to remind you that the reason they did that is because they understood that the gods were blessing people with great-looking bodies, and body image was so important. And, it, and if you were in that kind of culture, not only would you, if you had that, that kind of body, you would celebrate it, but if you didn't have that body, you would be a little bit embarrassed, and you would try to hide your blemishes, hide your faults, hide your flaws, and you would do everything you could so that others wouldn't see that you maybe didn't live up to the standard that where you would think that the gods would bless and favor. So all that's going on here in this culture. But not only was it going on with the individuals, but it was also carrying out, going on with their family. So what would happen is that, is that um, you would not only look at your own body to make sure it looked good, but you would look at the body of your children 
to make sure that they look good as well because if they didn't look good, it meant that the gods were not as happy with you that, they, that you could have them to be happy with you if your kids didn't measure up. And so here's where that led. That led where, where people in that city would look at their babies once they were born and then parents would do an assessment uh, on the potential for their child to be a beautiful child, okay? And they would look at their baby and ask the question, is, is this child going to reflect well on us as parents? Is this child going to show that the gods are in favor of us? Does this child indicate that we are worthy to receive the favor of the gods, okay? That's what they would have done. And if they looked at their child and they saw that oh, there's something wrong with our child, there's a defect in our child, there's a flaw in our child, there's a blemish on our child, um, what they would do, because they're so obsessed with this body image, typically what would happen is they would take that child and they would take it out into the, you know, the wilderness or to the hills sides or into the forest and they would just leave their child there. And so the result is that every newborn child was examined, and if the assessments of the parents was, oh, no, our child doesn't measure up, they would then take that, body, that child outside the city, they would secret that child away and bring it outside the city, and they would leave it there, and they would just walk away and let the child die from the elements. And in Ephesus, like other Greek cities, there were places that you actually could go. They became places that you could actually go to deposit your child off. If you want, didn't, as parents, didn't want to raise that child because you were afraid of the body image that your child had that would reflect on you as a parent. Because, again, uh, the philosophy of the day is that beautiful children reflect that the gods have favor upon the parents of that child. And that was true. I mean, so you can look at Greek philosophy and you find out these ideas in Greek philosophy that carried on to people even in Paul's day that were still in Ephesus. And so you read Plato. Plato in his Republic talked about the fact that the offspring of the good are reared. The offspring of the, this is what he said, the offspring of the good are reared, the offspring of the inferior parents, as well as the formed offspring from the others will be secreted away. Okay, what does that mean? That they'll be taken away and, and put aside, not had, just a, to, to die in, in, the, in the elements of nature around them. Uh, Aristotle said the same thing. With regard to the choice between abandoning an infant or rearing it, let there be a law that no crippled child be reared. Why? Because you're living in a culture where beauty is paramount. And that people know that the favor of God, of the gods upon them, comes by having beautiful kids. And so, you know, crippled children, we're not going to keep them in our house. We'll take them away and we'll, and we'll get rid of them and abandon them. That was great culture. And that was a culture that Paul is writing this letter to who are living in Ephesus. And so parents would kill their babies and they'd take them out of the hills and abandon them there. Now, there was a side thing that happened because of that. It led to a business opportunity. And it led to a business opportunity where entrepreneurial individuals, men or women, would realize that what they could do, out, they could do is they could go out to this place where these children were and they could take that child and bring it home 
and raise that child. But they won't raise a child because they want to raise a child to become their children or their child. But they raise that child so that they later on could sell that child as a slave. And so all that was taking place as well. And that's why, by the way, you know, when you talk about Ephesus, we're talking about one of the major slave trading centers in the ancient world. I mean, we're, we're told that, and it's hard to believe, we're told that in, in the Roman Empire, there were 60 million slaves in the first century. And so what was happening is that people would raise people to be slaves. And so part, and not only did they get slaves from conquering other nations, but they got a lot of slaves from people who just leave their children to die out in the wilderness and somebody else would come by, take that child and rear that child so that they could sell that child as a commodity to somebody years later as a slave to use in their household or whatever work they wanted them to do. I mean, that was big business in Ephesus at that time. Now, that's, all of that is the backdrop. I'm trying to set the backdrop to what Paul's going to say to the people in Ephesus as he writes this letter to them about a God who blesses. So here, here again what he says. Now keep that in mind, what I just shared with you. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ for what he, for, here's why. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. I mean, Paul says he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Do you, do you see the stark contrast between the culture that these people were raised in and this good news that Paul is bringing to them? that they would wait until their child were, children were born and then they would make a choice if they were going to keep that child, if that child was worth keeping, and if it wasn't, they would set it aside. And so Paul says, no, he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. So if you, I mean, if you want to jot some thoughts down, jot this thought down, because it was really one of the most significant thoughts that we have in the Bible, and that's this, this, God chooses us. We've been chosen by God. It's not that we choose God. It's the fact that God chose, chose us. He chooses us before the foundation of the world. Now, think of how that would have sounded for the people in the city of Ephesus to hear that for the very first time. To hear Paul say that there's a God who chooses people, not because they're perfect, not because they're blameless, not because they're beautiful, not because they add something to the image of the parents in that family, but because this God, this Jewish God, wants to make them holy and blameless. I mean, can you imagine how that must have sounded? I mean, just how radical that would have been. To hear that there's a God who doesn't choose you because you have something to give to him, but he's a God who chooses you because he wants everything to give to you. I mean, this is the good news of the gospel that's coming to this, this city. That there is a God who chooses you because he wants to share with you every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I mean, it, it just, it's been just a, a radical thought breaking into the minds of these people who heard it for the first time. And then Paul adds this, and that choice by the gods did not take place at the moment you were born because that God looked at you and said, oh, I'll favor you. I'll bless you. 
but it happened before the creation of the world, before anything was even formed. That there's a God who decided you matter to me so much that I'm going to choose you before anything else was ever even in existence. In other words, in the mind of God, to all these children who were left to die of exposure and starvation, it's as if God is saying, I choose you, I want you, you're my choice, I'm going to make you holy and blameless. <clears throat> you know, choosing, it's such a good word, being chosen, it's such a great idea that you've been chosen. You know, here's how important it is. When Jesus was talking to his disciples, he, he said to them, you have not chosen me, but I chose you and ordained you that you should bring forth my fruit. You didn't choose me. I chose you. The point is that Paul is telling us that God wants us to be his children, not only because we are holy, not only because we are blameless, but to make us holy and blameless. You know, some of you have heard the story of what it was like in our family when I was growing up and how my dad left our family and left my mom to raise four young kids at that time. Uh, four of us in the family. Three of us were boys in our family. That only increased, I think, the difficulty for what she had to do. And a, and a number of years she struggled. I, we, we remember that as a family. We struggled to make ends meet here. A single mom, you know, raising the four kids by herself, not getting a lot of the help that you can get nowadays. And so there was a lot of tough times that we went through. Uh, but the day came when mom invited a man over for dinner. Now, we didn't know it at the time, but mom was actually on a date. That she was, they were having a date at the house. And he came to the house, and as he came up to the door, we saw him coming, and, and we, it was easy for us to see him coming because we were up on our garage roof, a single-car garage in, near the back of the house, uh, had, a, had a flagpole right near the the garage wall so we could shimmy up the flagpole and get on the, the garage roof. And we would play up on the roof by seeing who, would, who could jump off uh, from the roof closest to the peak of the, the gable of the roof. And uh, that was, I mean, that was the competition that we did. And, uh, you know, I don't know how we got by without breaking our limbs, but we did. But anyways, there we were up on the roof, and here comes this guy to our front door, and the first thing he asked our mom, I guess, was usually let your boys play on top of your garage. And mom didn't know we were up there. She had no idea. And, you know, and I've got to be thinking that she's probably thinking that this is it. I mean, this is, ends this. But it wasn't. And it wasn't long before, you know, mom sat us down and told us that, that he was going to become our dad. And that they were getting married. And that was the best news that we had ever heard. At least it was for me. Now, I don't know the effect that Paul's words would have had on the people of, his, of Ephesus, but I have to imagine it must have done something in their heart to hear that even though their parents didn't choose to keep them, there was a God. There was a God, unlike any other God, who said, I want you to be a part of my family. I want to bless you with all the spiritual blessings, so I choose you.
to make you holy and blameless in my sight. You know, that's the message that God's giving to the people in Ephesus, that there's a God who really does choose us. And he really does want to have a relationship with us to the point that he's willing to take us in our imperfections and in our faults and to turn all that around and make us holy and blameless in his sight. But that's not the only blessing. I said there's two blessings that I want you to see here. Not only is it a blessing that he chose us, but here's the other blessing, that he adopted us into his family. Listen to what it says. It says, in love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance to his pleasure and will. And again, go back to what's happening in Ephesus around the, this, this church right now. Put yourself in the context. These children who are chosen by the, in, in the hills, left out in the hills, and now somebody comes and chooses them. They didn't choose them because they wanted to make them daughters or sons in their family. They choose them so they can someday sell them as a slave to somebody else and make a profit of raising them. But Paul says, no, that's not how God operates. He didn't choose you to make you his slave. He chose you to make you his son, to make you his daughter. In fact, here's a word that Paul uses. He uses the word, in love, he predestined us to be adopted as sons and daughters so that you would have all the rights, all the privileges that come with being adopted. That's what he's telling them. And so again, imagine how that must have sounded. You're, here they are. They, they know what happens, how people are being raised, you know, just simply to be sold as a slave. And now Paul comes along and says, no, God, this God predestined you. He made a determination that he would make you a part of his family by adopting you into the family. I mean, I just think that they must have just thought, you're kidding that there is a God in this world who would do something like that? There's a God who would, who would want to make us a part of his family. And so rather than using us as slaves, that he wants to make us one of his children. There's a kind of God in this world that loves us so much that it says in love that he would love us so much that before we didn't even make a decision, he would already have made a determination that he would make us part of his family and adopt us into his family. There's that kind of God in this world. Paul, tell us more about this God. I mean, this is the power that we're hearing in these words that Paul's sharing. That here's a God who, who chooses us before we really are unchoosable. And here's a God who adopts us because he determines that he wants to have us a part of his family. See, and the response is that, what a God. I mean, what's a blessing to know this God. And then Paul says this, in accordance to his pleasure and will. His pleasure and will. Where they didn't know the pleasure of parents because they were displeasing to their parents. Remember, they weren't pleasing. And so they were set aside and put out of the community. And Paul says, no, God chose you and adopted you. And he did it because it was his pleasure to do it. He wanted to do it. It's his will to do it. He wanted to do it. That's what he's communicating to them. And there are people today, I think of people today who think of God as a God who's a tyrant. And they think that God was, is out to ruin their lives or to destroy their lives or to wreck their plans. 
That's not what this says here. It says that God's pleasure is to find us out on the hillsides where we've been abandoned and to bring us home with him to be adopted as his rightful children. Because he loves us so much. Do you want to know what the message is today in this, in this passage? I think the simple message is this, that you and I are wanted by God. God wants us as his children. And that's why it's so sad to think of people who think of God, who think as he's the one who wants to send people to hell. No. That's why it's so sad to, that people have the impression that God wouldn't, want to, God wouldn't want to do anything to them or with them if he knew what they were like. That God wouldn't want anything to, anything to ha- do with them if he really knew what they were like. The point is that God knows exactly what we're like. The point is that God knows that we don't measure up. God knows that we aren't holy. God knows that we aren't blameless. But that doesn't keep him from saying, I want you, I choose you, I'm going to make you my child, I'm going to welcome you into my family. See, this is the message. I mean, for us who have been in the church a long time, this should be a message that just resonates with us, that this is the God I've come to meet as well. He's a God, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who blessed us with this kind of spiritual blessing. Now, take all that and let me ask you this. If you haven't said to God, I want to be your child, the question is this, what are you waiting for? And why are you waiting? He's not looking for you to be holy. He's not looking for you to be blameless. He's looking for you to be wanted, for you to want him. He wants you to be his child. He wants you to receive the inheritance that is beyond measure that you'll, so that you'll enjoy all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places that he has planned for you. And he's opened the door for that being possible through what his son Jesus Christ did when he came to earth. So for you and I who are here today, I mean, if we've come to know this God, this is something we celebrate, don't we? We celebrate the fact that he chose us before the foundation of the world. We celebrate the fact that he adopted us to be a part of his eternal family. But we pray for those who haven't come to understand that, that they would come to know that wonderful truth as well so that they could move close to a God who wants them to know that he loves them dearly and he's chosen them and he'll adopt them if they're willing to have him as their God. It's a great truth. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for the news that we just heard today from Paul. And Father, I know that we don't live in a world where the Ephesians were, where, you know, we are set aside and, left. But you know, sometimes we feel that way. That there are people in our world who feel that they've been left behind or they've been left out or they aren't wanted and they aren't valuable. They aren't worth anything. And Father, I pray that the good news of your love for them would come through in helping them understand that you're a God who loves them and he's chosen them 
and he's adopting them to be a part of his family. So, Father, I thank you for that wonderful news you gave us through the pen of the Apostle Paul. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.